What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guests today, Ruth Andrade, Earth Care Strategy Lead, and Chase Clark, Manufacturing Director of the British Cosmetics Manufacturer and Retailer, Lush. Thank you so much, Ruth and Chase, for being here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yes, thank you, Charles. So we're going to dive straight in, and it would be great if you could start by sharing a bit about Lush's reason for being. It's, it's passion and it's purpose. Oh, wow. So we're talking about uh, 27, nearly 28, actually this month, 28 years of history. And I think the a lot of Lush's ethics and the reason for being really comes from the founders. So Lush was founded by... Um, a hairdresser and his partner, his wife, who are also very keen bird watchers and an extended group of people who already had ethics like fighting animal testing and animal cruelty really in their hearts. Um, and a, a lot of that has been woven into how Lush grew and developed over time. And we actually retrofitted a purpose in, in recent years with this idea that we're here to leave the world lusher than we found it. And I always, I love to say that we picked a great name, like the name is our purpose. So, you know, how, how do we go around making people lusher and making the environment lusher, making our economies lusher? We want our shops to be a notion of kindness where everyone feels welcome and looked after from, you know, making sure that we are leaving environments and landscapes and ecosystems actually better because we're trading with those communities. So it really spans like a broad set of actions. And we're also very action focused. So fighting animal testing, rewilding, and then um, looking at people and justice and equity. Perfect. Thank you very much, Ruth. There's a lot here in the Lush brand. Chase, as manufacturing director, from a kind of product perspective, what would you say uh, Lush's reason for being is? Yeah, well, I think if we were to go, you know, right way back to the start, um, it's important to sort of just recognize Lush's sort of um, humble beginnings and the fact that it was actually born out of um, our original business, Cosmetics To Go, which unfortunately went bankrupt. It was a mail order uh, business at the time. And obviously Lush was born off of the back of that. And as Ruth mentioned, by the six co-founders that we have and um you know the aim back then and still to this day um is and was to have effective products that are fresh natural and using little to no preservatives and i think in terms of our ethos our ethos was and still is to source and use the finest ingredients um, rather than overspend 
on unnecessary and wasteful packaging. And I think it's fair to say, you know, this has been achieved in many forms over the years, um, whether it's through the invention and innovation of staple products that we know well today, such as the bath bomb, uh, the shampoo bar, both invented by Mo Constantine. And then we've also got solid or what we refer to as naked versions of soap, lotions, bubble bars. And even in more recent years, um, we've introduced alternatives to conventional, maybe toothpaste, such as Lush Oral Care, like Toothy and Mouth Tab uh, washers, uh, as well as reducing uh, and introducing uh, packaging free makeup so i think the the core values that we have today have very much been there from the start and that's supported by our we believe statement um, that can be seen in all our shops online across our factories and as ruth says you know that's evolved into our not so secret master plan which can be broken down into creating a product for every need being number one in every product category um, and creating a cosmetics revolution to save the planet by leaving the world lusher than we found it. Wow. Co a cosmetic revolution to save the planet. Well, talking of that, let's talk, um, uh, as listeners will know, I like talking about the inner nature and the outer nature of the living system. And so as we move now to start off with the outer nature of the living system, the context that the business finds itself in, uh, perhaps you can start, Chase, by talking a little bit about, you know, the market that Lush now finds itself. I mean, you know, this sort of green uh, cosmetics or perhaps even more than just sustainable cosmetics actually helping, you know, um, provide uh, a more lusher world. How are you finding the market and how are your products evolving as a result of that? You know, what are you finding in this world post-COVID, I suppose? Good question. Um, well, I think, firstly, Lush is a very fast-paced business um, and we pride ourselves on quick implementation of those ideas and creation that we have. Um, I think you could maybe also argue that we don't reflect and review enough as a result of that um, but there's always a constant development of new products, shops, campaigns, new concepts, collaborations, uh, you know all elements of those are what we do best um, but equally, I think we recognize that times are changing and we've got more competitors than when we first started. So it's important for us to push the envelope and evolve with the times. Um, there's probably two prime examples right now in terms of, you know, how what that looks like. Um, Lush BathBot, it's a digital bathing experience, Lush Lens, a digital packaging solution. Um, so those things are, are nice uh, things that recognize our sort of past and our history in terms of how those products came about but also you know showing a, a pathway to the future i think communication and and our messaging are things that we critique quite heavily within lush so these are certainly things we sort of continue and you know must strive to do better with yeah and then i think the fact that you've touched on covid it'd be foolhardy probably not to admit covid didn't have an impact on us as a business um, both as individuals and collectively it was a tough time but i think we could argue also that maybe we're still going through the fallout of that um, but there's positives from it and i think it has forced us to reevaluate what we're doing and how we can best move forwards 
Um, one point in case would be the fact that we're more open to and considering things now that we might not have done before COVID. And I think that's a positive step and certainly enlightening from a business perspective. But at the same time, I think it's important that we won't actually compromise on our ethics. We'll adapt our style and approach to the current, but obviously in matters of principle, we'll continue to stand firm. And I think that can be echoed in our environmentalism, our stance on animal testing, and more recently, uh, our approach to social media. Yeah. Okay. So standing firm, having this clear taproot with purpose, but then actually evolving capacity. Ruth, would you like to share from your perspective how this evolving capacity happens through the work that you do? Sure. And I I think also just to pick up where Chase left off with social media. So a couple of years ago, we decided to step out of Facebook and Instagram, like the meta-owned platforms and TikTok. Um, and so again, it's how do we evolve our own capacity to talk to customers? You know, this is like a... Dis a a disruption in how we do business. And, and as we know, in living systems, when there is a disruption, we kind of need to readapt. It, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a form of breakdown in communication with our customers. So how do we reinvent ourselves and keep evolving our own capacity to connect? Because ultimately, like I love this quote that like brands are the new storytellers. And to be the new storytellers, we need to be creating connection with our customers. And, and I think this is very core to, to what Lush does. And, and the other point that to connect to what I wanted to say next is, for example, in um, this year in the stores, we're really focusing on this idea of rewilding your routine and really connecting customers to the work that we do in the supply chain. And part of that work is both to evolve the capacity of customers to understand that they are part, right? They're, they're, um, they're co-creating with us this leaving the world lusher than we found it because without customers engaging with us and buying our products, we cannot do that work. And that work at Lush is, um, I always say this idea of like, if you really take, you know, um, that concept that comes from biomimicry, that life creates conditions conducive to life. Like, how do you bring that core principle throughout the business? Um, and I think Lushes also sometimes have to have an educational purpose with um, customers. And we launched a couple of years ago, I think it was last year, actually, we launched a whole series of self-preserving moisturizers and really having the conversation with customers about their skin microbiome and the importance of the diversity and health of the skin microbiome. So when we talk about rewilding your routine, we also know that people that are more exposed to nature, their microbiome is actually more diverse. And this is really at the heart um, of, of human health. But this is also at the heart of ecosystem health. So how do we make that connection by then telling the same story? So it's the same principles, it's the same thinking before the supply chain. So instead of um, what I say, the skin, your skin and the microbiome on your skin, it's about the microbiome of the skin of the earth, which is the soil and the diversity of forests and ecosystems. And we do that by really, again, evolving capacity. Like I think at Lush, we've always had this idea that we're just not going to do what's already there. We want to build more capacity. So in the supply chain for since 2009, I believe, we've been developing really strong partnerships with 
communities, permaculture projects, indigenous communities, smallholder farmers, even larger farmers to develop uh, a supply of regenerative materials. And just, just to give a couple of examples, we're also really focused on biodiversity um, and wildlife. So how do we partner with conservation organizations? And I have like countless examples, so I could spend hours here just talking about this, but some of the ones that I love, like um, the coconut oil, we, we make our own in-house soapies for some products, and we also add a little bit of coconut oil in other soaps, and we buy the oil from Alwan, which is a supplier that set up a conservation organization or an environmental organization next to the business organization in Indonesia. Um, and one of the core uh, things that they work in is turtle conservation. So they are in a place where turtles nest uh, all year long, and they are working with smallholder farmers to protect tur turtle nesting sites. At the same time, they can get livelihoods for coconuts. Yeah. Or um, one of our honey uh, producers, Komako, they are working with uh, poachers or former poachers of elephants and training them to be beekeepers. So, you know, having a direct benefit on elephants. We're working with Maasai women in Kenya that are really in the drylands and already suffering the worst impacts of climate change. But aloe, a type of aloe, which is aloe secundiflora, which is not your usual aloe, grows there abundantly. So we partner with a permaculture um, center, training women in permaculture and regenerative agriculture, and we buy the aloe. But they're also making their own cosmetics for the local market. So that's, you know, that's the concept of trying to create more capacity in the supply chain to have provision of um, biodiversity-friendly, regenerative uh, materials. Yeah. Well, lovely. Thank you for sharing those, because, I mean, again, it's this concept of just ha all the way through the value chain, creating things lusher. Now, if we bring that value chain back into actually the business itself, um, I talk about the inner nature then being the culture of the organization. And I like I like I really like this framing around the microbiome for many reasons. So if we stick with this just for a moment, which is you've got the microbiome of the skin that you're helping um, uh, ensure it's, uh, it's diverse and, and rich. You're helping the microbiome of the ecosystem, ensuring it's diverse and rich. It's creating conditions for life to flourish. Um, how are we creating conditions for life to flourish inside the microbiome of the organization as a living system? I know that you've been exploring developmental cultures for some time now. You're very good at home-growing talent. You and I have also talked about chaotic organizations because we love D. Hock's work around that. You know, could you speak a little bit about developmental cultures and how you how that works inside Lush? Um, Lush is a very peculiar, like it's really a unique culture. I mean, every business has a unique culture because of you know, the, the uniqueness of the conditions and the context. Um, I think Lush is a family business. So that brings its own benefits and its own challenges. Um, we're not also not on the stock market. So we're still owned mostly by founders who are still working in the business. So that gives a very hands-on culture at Lush where we're, um, and I think uh, Chase even talked about this, like we're fast-paced, we're, we're action-driven rather than long-term thinking driven or, you know, reflection. Like, so we don't look so further into the future or into the past. We're very, you know, a now culture. And um, one of the... Um, one of the coolest things, like I, I was working in the store, right? So, so Lush creates these conditions for people to flourish internally 
and to grow within the business and really grow talent within the business. Um, I, I came from the shop floor. Like in 2004, I was working in the shop. Marcos, the owner of the business, just rocked up and I gave him a hard time about some environmental things. And he was like, do you want to do it? And I said, sure. He said, okay, do it. You know, and then I became like the first environmental manager for Lush. And I think, Chase, if you want to share your story before I, I keep going. Yeah, Chase, you're, you're a prime example, Chase, also of, of, of homegrown talent. I think you've been at Lush for 21 years now. You know, how, how, how do you find it? How's it? How's it worked for you? How has it worked for me? Uh, well, it's been a long time, as you say, 21 years. Um, and yeah, I am a living, breathing example of sort of progression and an opportunity. And I think my own story is, you know, similar to Ruth on a manufacturing uh, front, which is came in as a as a Christmas temporary worker, um, pressing bath bombs, um, no more than looking for a job and some cash on the hip. And, you know, here I am today speaking to you about Lush and, and our business as a manufacturing director. Um, but, you know, between those times, you know, I've been fortunate to have compounded our products, traveled the world with Lush, uh, managed various teams and departments, as, as well as working on various projects and different concepts over the years. So I've been provided many forms of training, including soft skills, um, some forms of academic development. Um, but I think at Lush, we strongly encourage experiential and self-learning. Um, but I think equally, I think nowadays we are more open and accept that it's striking a balance of both, valuing both progression from within and recognizing the strengths of bringing external expertise into the business and I think ultimately this is what cultivates a diverse and dynamic culture um so I think yeah for me like the first words that sort of come to mind with Lush are sort of opportunities and learning and and I think you know from my own story whether you're viewing Lush as sort of just a job potentially a career um, your own personal development, life skills, relationships, friendships, traveling, meeting, greeting, integrating with different cultures around the world. I think it ultimately sort of it, what it means is, is it allows you to maybe do things that you might never have considered doing or being a part of. So I think we welcome people within the business of all backgrounds and ages and and ultimately, we like to provide opportunities for all. And this is just one of the reasons why, for instance, we pay the living wage and we don't have any disparity between, you know, whether you're joining from school or whether you're joining from another industry. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's really, really key, to be honest with you. And I think if I were to compare it to sort of like the early days of Lush to now, I think, you know, one prime example is, when you talk to people, however long they've been with Lush or whoever they are, you t you often find yourself talking about, well, when did you start with Lush? And quite often you'll find that the time period is either August or certainly around that time. And one of the reasons for that is traditionally this is when people came in as a temporary member of staff and as a result get, got kept on after Christmas and, you know, onwards and upwards to to bigger and better things and into various roles around the business oh, wow you know you're this continuous sort of home growing and developing it's like the microbiome itself is evolving um, Ruth anything in particular around sort of you know 
the developmental, you know, power dynamics, trust and all of that that you could speak to? Yeah, I think I, I, I like to joke that Lush is the only company that I know where most people know what a mycelium is, you know, like because we talk so much that we are like a mycelium. I think that that concept of living systems that are really um on on the edge of chaos and order right in the chaotic space like no one can give you a organizational chart for lush like it's really this unfolding emerging and a lot of that gets developed through disruption so the number of times that we will make decisions not knowing you know the next step but believing that that disruption will cause people to grow into that space quickly right so that that's all like the developmental thinking around it and then I think a few years ago, um, we we have uh, key people in the business and some of the, you know, the, the children of the founders and the main shareholders of the business that were really interested in ex exploring the idea of self-organization and autonomy. So um, we like the, the team, the earth care team, we don't even see ourselves as a team. We're more of a circle and our aim is to be fully embedded in the business, not this idea that you have a sustainability team sitting on the side, but that we're really interwoven and influential in the business. Um, we we are self-organized, so I don't even see myself as the boss. I see myself as the gardener you know, that is uh, cultivating that soil and building a healthy soil for people to grow and develop. And the thing that really makes me excited is when I look around you know, the, the people that I've been working with in the last few years and see the amazing humans that they've that they have become and how how they are able to take more responsibility um, to have a bigger impact in the business because we created that nourishing you know soil and I think retail is the same so this idea that man shop managers are have a lot of autonomy at lush and they really there is really a lot of space for them to grow their unique potentials. Um, and again, this comes because of what I say, the discipline in the leadership, at least yeah. my leadership, you know, Claire's leadership, Claire Constantine, who's, who's the daughter of Mark, like I, um, and the whole retail leadership team, like it, it's that discipline in making sure that your power comes from supporting people in building their own power rather than having power over so it's how do I have power with people and how do I create, you know, a, um, a thriving um, culture where I'm evolving leadership. Yes. So it's not about creating hierarchies where, you know, we have a lot of people concentrating power, but we're instead creating a place where there is more leadership and there is shared power. But again, this is very me. And like I've been driving, the, the, you know, this part of the business quite strongly I think the fact that it's a family business that has also clear shareholders, of course, they have a lot more power and a, a lot more rank. And we're always, um, you know, navigating those, those I think, two types of organization um, within one system. Yeah. So again, diversity. And, and yeah, and just to say one last thing, like that core life principle that diversity creates resilience, I think... Here, we can also see this, like even the diversity of how people are managing the business also can create some more resilience and more learning because it's not uniform. Yeah, 
I mean, what we talk about in living systems is how we need divergence and convergence. And that's the, also de Hooke's sort of chaotic. You need the divergence, which brings a diversity, which, you know, um, more self-organizing, allowing people to work with the mycelium threads and so forth. But you need the convergence sometimes. And it's okay to have some hierarchy. So it's balancing both. It's not, it's when we go too far in one direction, we just think everything has to be power control based. And I really like how you spoke to power dynamics there. And, and I would like to ask specifically about your leadership in a moment. But first, Chase, your particular leadership style, um, how do you, how, how would you describe it? Um, how's that changed over the years, perhaps? How's it changed over the years? Well, I'm not sure I'm best placed to probably answer that. It's probably those that I've worked, that have worked for me or with me um, over the years. And, and just that probably in itself has, has evolved in terms of whether it's, um, my age what's happening outside of work what's happening inside of work the roles that I've taken on um, and just maturity and and life you know life skills and and experiences that that come up and equally I think it's also about um, you know in taking a phrase that I learned years and years ago from someone was you know almost pickpocketing the best bits from you know from from people that you work with um you know and enabling yourself to be the best version of you um going back to the question of you know my preferred style my preferred style is one of openness and passion um personally I like to have autonomy and trust in the way that I work and I like to reciprocate that to to others um you know fundamental treat people with respect and and as you would others um i think it can be said safe to say that people uh, know me as a bit of a delegator but personally i like to class myself and consider myself as an enabler to help and support others others be the best that they can be and and form a bit of a bridge and a link to to other areas and to other teams to ensure that things can be done and and to shine a light on people i think because sometimes you know people don't necessarily need moddy coddling their way through um but at the same time i think it is just using your own experiences to help others and personally i i like and love working with what i class as rough diamonds um you know people that aren't maybe fully fledged and you know the the ready-made article but again giving people an opportunity to better themselves and and to shine that light on them so i think you know that for me those principles are key but i i think i also get a lot of enjoyment and and satisfaction and and a, a sense of reward from that um i think those things can be taught and and come through but i think inherently and you can hear it with the way that ruth talks about herself and her style that that comes out in an abundance so i think just being able to see that over a long period of time um is you know is as i said very rewarding um and you know that i think it's just acknowledging the 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 strengths of others as well within that um and embracing like a, a culture of difference of opinion and freedom of speech and and having that and acting with integrity um i think is is key because i think you know people you know can uh you know pardon the phrase but smell bullshit you know if, if you're not acting with uh, integrity or uh, being slightly disingenuous 
So you're creating what I'm taking here. Again, there's a, a strong theme of cultivating the space and enabling in this culture that's coming through in your different leadership styles and the whole culture itself. And, and so and I'll ask Ruth to speak to this in a minute, um, is this idea that you're actually just, it's, it's almost a feminine leadership, I would like to say, you know, where you're allowing and you're holding, you're in, uh, inviting in that person to shine, which requires some trust and some, uh, and requires a slightly different power dynamic than what is the sort of typical get the job done. Ruth, how does this speak to your own style? I So I actually want to share a story because Chase and I were in a meeting together this week. So I'm, you know, I'm, I love having ideas and I'm a very big ideas person and I can occupy any space. Like if there is a leadership vacuum, I'm occupying it. Like I have no issues. Like I'm really, um, uh, kind of extrovert, so, uh, and I mean, Chase, we couldn't be more different, right? But that means that I need to be constantly like that. I always say that I went into self-organization and studying power dynamics because I could happily be the, you know, boss of a mafia group somewhere. You know, I have no problems, like uh, really, I, I, I self-organization was my, my way to, be more self-aware about my own um, needs for power and and you know and and it was a way of developing myself. So I have to be on the constant outlook. And Chase is a natural like I I talk a lot. Chase listens. I give loads of ideas. Chase asks questions. Right. So this week we were in a meeting together and it was um, people that we're both working with and they were presenting a plan. And at the end, I remember I, I just said, so how about we do this and that? And why don't you give us like the cost for this third option that you hadn't thought about, et cetera. And I think this is what the direction we should go. And Chase goes, uh, what do you think, you know, to them? Of course, they were doing the work. They know a lot more than me. And Chase goes, what do you think should be the best way forward? And I was like, oh, thank you for the reminder. <laughs> You know, like, the, and this is the discipline of leadership that yes. I think is required because the minute you, you just need to do it a few times to create what I call systemic disempowerment. And unless we have the, the discipline to like hold, hold our own power and really bring, um, bring the leadership out or we can also bring the leadership out in people but again create conditions for people to step into those roles um we are disempowering them so I, I, for me that's the key the key uh aspect of for me the the leadership style that i'd like to have is discipline and awareness about the power dynamics and to make sure that the way i'm acting doesn't create or I'll, I'll put it in the positive to make sure that the way I'm acting creates the human, the humanity in people that I believe should be there, yeah. right? Which is agency, autonomy. Um, yeah, all, all those things that I said before. I mean, this, 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 a point around um, having a discipline as a leader to uh, be aware of the power dynamic and shift the power dynamic um, to avoid this, what you call systemic disempowerment is so relevant. I see it in so many organizations, whether it's founder led or corporate makes no difference. It's so easy to actually through being a bit more convergent, a bit more clear, a bit more structured, a bit more organized before you know it, you actually create a parent child dynamic 
and that it just it disempowers the very people that you're trying to cultivate. Really important discussion. Really loved it. Covered a hell of a lot. We're just going to finish now. Um, Chase, I'll ask you first. Um, a little tip for any tip that you would like to share to other leaders on this journey. Okay. I think it's important to have insight in order to provide oversight. But when doing so, I think it's important to act with integrity, remain humble, show humility and compassion. I think it's important to remind ourselves that we are only human. Um, we won't always get things right, and that's okay. Um, as with Lush, failure can be a learning opportunity and blossom into something else. Um, and don't be fearful of not being the smartest person in the room at all times. I think it's important to recognize your own strengths and areas for development in order to complement those of others. Lovely. Thank you. There's a, there's a lot there, Chase. Thank you. Ruth, with any, any, any tip from you? I think just to go back to what we were saying before about evolving capacity, I keep repeating those two words. Um, but I, for me, that that really is part of the regenerative paradigm is how how are we constantly creating the conditions for people to grow and um, and really become more autonomous and self-determining and being able to to express you know who who they are and what they came here to do. So I think for me, the the may I'll go back to the to that discipline of not just how I'm reflecting this about my own leadership style, but but we are constantly designing processes and systems within the business. And behind those processes and systems is a belief about how humans, what humans are and how they should behave. So it's I think it's really examining what we're doing from our meeting dynamics to how we do pay to how we do bonus to how we um, do planning, um, how we do feedback, and really think like what stand behind this? Is it a vision that I agree with? Is it regenerative? Is this coming from you know a, a regenerative paradigm of what we talked before, evolving capacity, self-determining, autonomy, agency, you know, ca capacity to leave the world larger than we found it, right? And it's not just the supply chain or the products, it's the whole business designed to to come from that premise. I'm not sure, I'm, I don't want to say we're there yet, but you know. We're, Beautiful. It's a journey. The point of the journey, journey is not to arrive, to enjoy yeah. this luscious journey. Chase, uh, Ruth, it's been fascinating. We've covered a lot. We've talked about a 28-year-old award-winning company, its vitality, its fast evolving, continuously creating conditions to, conducive to life, looking at this idea of the microbiome, not just at the skin, but in the ecosystem and in the culture of the organization, creating these de developmental self-learning organizations. And, that, and the importance of trust, the importance of having the discipline to be aware of our own power dynamics so that we avoid systemic disempowerment and that we are only human born to make mistakes thank you both really nice to chat with you much love thank you thank you giles for more on leading by nature you can follow me giles hutchins on linkedin and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business also watch out for my latest book leading by nature the process of becoming a regenerative leader